You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we're grateful every day for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful to be those who are being saved. Yes, we were, we were justified at a point in time, but as we go through our lives living out our salvation day by day, it is with wonder knowing that you are working that out by your Holy Spirit in us. We pray that it would be to your glory today, that we would honor you in the things that we say and do, and that we would be lights to the world around us, showing the, the world that Jesus Christ is truly the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Must be from that song this morning, Ron. <laughs> I am truly grateful to be allowed to, to spend this time with you folks in the Word. It's been a... It's, it's good for me because it forces me into the Word and I'm lazy by, by nature. And I don't get to be lazy. So I'm grateful for that reason, but also that I just get to go over this again and and find out how little I know and how grateful I am that God put this down for us. So let's read 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start with, we're going to go through, where are we? We're like at verse 18. So we're going to start at verse 18 and read through the end of chapter. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, God, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. But by his doing, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a number of things. Paul is going to... Paul engages in hyperbole often. And it's, it's in some ways, it's delightful. In other ways, you have to stop and think, now, is he, does he really mean that? What is he talking about here? And, and why is he saying it that way? Because I'm sure none of us here have ever engaged in hyperbole. Never. Never. 
If I've told you a billion times, I've told you once. Never. So we all know what hyperbole is. And Paul uses it to great advantage when he's dealing with the Corinthians. They seek, many of the Greeks there seek wisdom, or what they consider wisdom, and we'll see that it's not really wisdom. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the wisdom of the world today. Actually, it is like the wisdom of the world today, where men think they know more than God, or they consider that there is no God and that they know everything. And Paul has to break that down. He has to get the Corinthians to come to a place where they realize that the revealed Word of God and the work that Jesus has done is truly what is important, what is real. And I, I did a little research on the Greek philosophers. This is page one. We'll get to this, but I'm going to leave that up there to kind of catch your interest. It's kind of... But uh, that is just page one of the A's of philosophers of Greek, the Greek philosophers. We'll talk about that when we get to it. So we left off last week in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, as I mentioned with the Corinthian churches, with us today, there is way too much focus on celebrity. We read more about celebrities than... Is, I mean, sometimes I just go, why? I, I'm not interested. I, I, get, I get to the headline and I'm done. I, I don't want to read the article. I'm just, it's just way too much. They call, it was the Corinthians, what they did is they lined up behind celebrities, behind certain people, behind certain philosophers, and they had plenty of them to line up behind just as we do today. Peter was a celebrity. Paul was a celebrity. Apollos was a celebrity. And in an, in an unfortunate twist of things, Jesus was a celebrity. He's, he should never be accorded that lowly status. He's the Son of God. Um, Paul spends a great deal of time dealing with this. Uh, we're going to see it throughout the book, throughout the entire letter. Uh, here he begins acknowledging about the, talking about the preaching of the cross or as he says, the word. And what we talked about last week was that it was foolishness to those who were hearing it. And I reminded us that one man put it this way. Uh, when we say the word of the cross, it seems like something noble, something elegant today. It's in the Christian church. But to those in those days, D.R. Carson put it this way. He said, what would you think? This would be like what the Greeks and the, and the Jews would have heard at that time. In first century, uh, is in the Mediterranean area. What would you think if a woman came to work wearing earrings stamped with the image of the mushroom cloud of the atomic bomb that was dropped over Hiroshima? Or what would you think of a church building adorned with the fresco of the massed graves of Auschwitz? The same sort of shocking horror was associated with the cross and crucifixion in the first century. It was what criminals got. It was the electric chair. It was the firing squad. It was lethal injection. It wasn't something glorious to the to the average workaday world person. Now, now, so you can kind of see why many would have rejected this preaching. The gospel, powerful and wonderful as it is, needs the work of the Holy Spirit in a heart in order for that heart to be receptive. And so those of us who have trusted Christ, because of that work that the Holy Spirit did in us and continues to do, the word of the cross is wonderful. The message of the cross is wonderful. It's life-changing. It's everything. But to unbelievers who have not been prepared by God's Word, by God's Holy Spirit, it's foolish. We have to remember that. Um, the word foolish comes from a Greek word from which we get the word moron. 
Atheists see us as moronic. I, I, I read some of these threads on Facebook that I see some of our more erudite folks dealing with, and they have more patience than I do. Uh, and it's, it's evident that the atheists in the group think Christians are morons. And it's an unfortunate thing because that predisposes them in many cases not to hearing. But the Holy Spirit can break through that. And without the benefit of a work in their hearts of the Holy Spirit, their evaluation is consistent with their worldview. That's their, their, their idea. Paul would have to undercut the Corinthians' tendency to lean towards celebrity and give celebrity more credibility than they deserve. We don't do that today. Of course not. If, if uh, one of the talking heads speaks, we always know, everybody on the planet knows that he's wrong, right? It's amazing what people will believe, what people will follow. And we need to keep that in mind. The Greeks loved philosophy, and they believed it was one of the most important things in life. The philosophers of the ancient Greece, Greek world were the celebrities of the day. They were the, I hesitate to bring names into it, so I'm not going to, but you can fill in the blanks in your mind. They were the people that were on the front pages of, of the New York Weekly, and on the front page, is there such a thing as the New York Weekly? And they were on the front pages of People, and they were on the cover of Time Magazine. They would have been on those, those outlets for these, the, the comment of the day. There were over 50 different philosophical parties with their own views of man's origin, his significance, his destiny, and his relationship to the, the gods that they believed in. They had invented stories. They had invented stories for every aspect of existence. And they had a celebrated philosopher who defended whichever philosophy they were invested in. Uh, there was no absolute standard for truth. There was no absolute standard for truth. Ron. Oh, yeah. Well, no, not even all the same gods. But there was quite a consistency for Thor and Zeus and Apollos and all of those. But the different philosophers took those ideas. There was all kinds of latitude. Because when you really are making stuff up, you can just keep making it up as you go. You know, if there's no accountability to the truth, to written truth, to a revealed truth, you can just keep making it up as you go. And so... so this guy was thought to be the creators of the five grounds of doubt, Agrippa the skeptic. Uh, Ashenes of Sphetis. Why would you, how would you like to be from a place called Sphetis? Uh, part of Socrates' circle and likely present in his death. Uh, here's a, who wrote a book called the Pyrrhonist Discourses, which became a central text for the skeptics. And, and I'm going to go through a few of them. There's pages of them. Pages. And so they would all have their own take on the different things that the gods and goddesses and nymphs and nymphomaniacs and all those people did. They would have had their own take and, and there were plenty of people to follow them. It's not much different. It actually isn't any different than the cults we have today. I remember back when I was teaching on the cults a lot, there was a group called The Way and they had all of these philosophies. They had the branches that emanated down from the Father and some of us were twigs. This, I mean, they can, you, you read this stuff and you go, really? People believe that? I'm moving to Mars. But I never use hyperbole. And, and it really is no different today than it was then. Some of, the most, some of the strangest ideas will be believed because somebody important said them. 
I mean, if you really look at Scientology, give me a break. Moving right along here, and we'll get, we'll get to more of that. There was no absolute stand for truth, just a vying for first place in the minds of the Greek populace by each of these different philosophies. This was factionalism and silliness, uh, and this factionalism and this silliness was carried over into the Corinthian church. A huge trust in the wisdom of man, even though it was clear that with over 50 different philosophies, and some of them were radically different from each other, uh, about how things happen, they ought to have thought, well, maybe man's wisdom isn't that fantastic after all. And so uh, the Corinthians were invested in these systems and they believed the wisdom of men was to be celebrated. And when you're invested heavily in something, a belief structure, it's really hard to change your mind. There's a momentum in your life. You've always thought this way. You've heard the saying, well, I've always, we've always done it that way. Well, it's funny, but it's real. That if you've always done it some way, it's really hard to change your mind. So imagine with these folks where not only had they always done it that way, but they'd always done it 50 different ways instead of one true way. So in these next few verses in the first chapter of Corinthians, he will compare the wisdom of men to the wisdom of God and show that in fact there is no comparison. Uh, getting caught up in the idea that the wise will see the gospel as salient and good is a problem. Prayer is needed, first and foremost, for God to plow up the heart, to bend the stiff neck, and destroy the one's trust in their own wisdom before the gospel can be received. That, that hardness that we all have, I'm right and everybody else is wrong, that has to be done away with. The Corinthians had to have that done away with. So, so he begins, note the verb tense as well. They are in the present imperative indicating ongoing activity. Everybody is either in the process of being saved, which is completed the redemption of the body, Romans 8, 23 and 13, 11, or they are in the process of being destroyed. What you think of Jesus and the cross is what determines your direction, your eternity. It's really, the gospel is so simple that it's frustrating to people who like complexity. So lest we look back with sanctimonious this derision at the Corinthians, it would be important to remember that we have the same problem today. We may not have Zeus, Jupiter, Thor, Freya, and other fall god, false gods, but we do look to National Geographic, Time Magazine, the current sports celebrity, actors and actresses, and other self-appointed arbiters of truth. It always amazes me when we want the commentary of some guy who played a doctor in some drama somewhere about Obamacare when he really knows nothing about medicine or economics at all. He just memorized some lines and interacted with other people on a stage in front of cameras. But we take his, we, we, he talks about this and we go, oh, he must be right. That's Dr. Kildare. Pardon me? He thinks he's right. Yeah, he, well, hopefully he does. That would be bad if he was acting for that. Actors can do that. There's no Jupiter. There's no Jupiter or Thor, but there is education, there's science, so-called, and Supreme Court decisions. One would think after watching, for example, the explanation of human origins change dozens of times over the last 35 years, that maybe we'd even get the idea we don't have evolution sorted out. 
anecdotal story. When I was in college, I was a believer in evolution. Yeah, I was dumber than a post. It's okay. And at that time, Louis Leakey had made the discovery at Olduvai Gorge of the Australopithecine line that changed human evolution radically by millions of years. And I remember at the time, I was an ardent evolutionist, but I remember thinking, do they know what they're talking about? This is really, really a big change. Oh, well, they must. That's kind of what happens. That's kind of what happens. I didn't really dig into it for a lot of reasons. It would have upset my worldview. Those Christians that had been witnessing to me, the fellow that pastors the um, uh, New Song Church was witnessing to me regularly. We had to travel across the state of Idaho together making speeches at different schools. And he, he pounded me with the gospel for like a year. And all unknown to me, the Lord was plowing up my heart. So that this stuff began to start making sense. And when I got into college, who knows whether with one of the wedges that Barry had put there made me go, do they really know what they're talking about? So let's not look at others with derision, though we've all been there. All of us were there. None of us were born saved. Come out and the, the doctor slapped you and you went, you need the Lord. You need the Lord, you know. That just didn't happen. It took, some of us, it took years. Some of it just, it took, it was quick. It was overnight. But only the Lord knows how much it took. And that'll be interesting to find out. So after introducing this idea in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ should not be made void. He introduced that idea. He begins his demonstration of the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom. Men revel in the complex, the mysterious, and difficult to explain. The gospel is too simple, and it leaves no room for human action. We are required to do nothing but believe, to trust. And men hate that. This may very well be a reason, part of the reason, why so many elaborate philosophies have been concocted over the centuries to show man clawing his way up to salvation, either to God or to Godhead. Men either claw their way up to salvation by themselves, or they claw their way up to become a God by themselves. The gospel, pure and simple, provides the only way, and that way is bereft of human endeavor, and therefore it's bereft of human pride and human accolades. Although humans have excelled in many areas, such as medicine, technology, machinery, etc. I heard some guys talking about a tractor this morning. Imagine, imagine someone in first century Greece behind an oxen with a wooden plow, and you go by on your brand new Ford tractor with a three bottom. And you know, we have excelled. We have come a long way. But if we want our car fixed, we'll go to the best mechanic, whether he's a Christian or not, probably. But if we want to know the answers of what life is about, where we came from, where we are going, and what and why some things happen, when we want to know why we are here, what is right, what is wrong, we, can, we have to go to the only source that has answers, and that's the revelation of God and His wisdom. And that's what Paul's talking about. If your alternator is going out, go to the best mechanic. But if you are guilty, you must go to the only one who can deal with that guilt in a permanent way in a permanent and eternal way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for those, for the word of the cross to those who are uh, perishing is foolishness to the atheist, to the moral or moralizer, to the worldview. But to us who are 
being saved, it is the power of God. Are you grateful every day for that power? And why did he... Why? I'll find out when I get there, but I'm just grateful. Any comments on verse 18 before we go into to verse 19 or questions? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Here Paul begins a series of reasons why God's wisdom is superior to man's. <laughs> and he shows the Corinthians that through his own preaching... That although his own preaching wasn't necessarily sophisticated from the philosopher's point of view, yet it bore results. And it was powerful because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God. And so he quotes Isaiah 29, 14, which says, Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. This is a demonstration that God has always exposed the folly of human wisdom. In this case, the prophecy will be fulfilled when Christ comes to reign as king in the end times. But in Isaiah's time, it dealt with the time that Sennacherib intended to conquer Judah. And God calmed Isaiah's fears, telling him that by his own power, by God's own power, he would protect Judah. You can read about it if you want in 2 Kings 17. None of this would have been lost, especially on the Corinthian Jews. This was the first salvo in what I call the bombing of human wisdom that Paul undertakes here. Men are apt to think that they can achieve by their own wisdom and their own cleverness whatever they need to achieve. The positive thinkers say it this way. Whatever you can believe, you can achieve. <laughs> They've never been in a downturned economy. Paul must destroy that trusting of human wisdom his reference to the Old Testament again shows that this has been God's purpose from time immemorial throughout human history. Whether it was Judah's trust in arms rather than in God, or the Corinthian trust in philosophy rather than in the cross of Jesus Christ. Both needed to be destroyed, and so he starts. Questions, comments on verse 19? Verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, of the world? Here they are. Here's the wise men who uh, didn't even agree with each other very well. As I alluded to earlier, the Greeks of this time had over 50 different philosophies and philosophical permutations of all that is and all that shall be. And this wisdom, Paul had to take it apart. Um, it should be noted at this juncture that I checked into the number of philosophers and discovered that throughout Greek history, the catalog of philosophers numbered 353, and I counted 32 different philosophies with multiple sub-philosophies that maybe whoever wrote the 50 was considering different, and maybe they were. Um, so there was, uh, just kind of look at this. There's, here's page two. Uh, teacher of Plutarch. These are all Stoics, Epicureans, Megarians, Neopythagorean, academic skeptic, Middle Platonist, Cyreniac. That's a weird one. I don't know who that was. Periapatetic. Peripatetic. I'm not going to work on that. I'll work on that one. Pythagorean. Atomism. I looked up atomism. They were guys who believed in strange things. Academic skeptics. Cyreniacs. More Stoics, Eritreans, Cynics, 
presented the first known model that placed the sun at the center of the universe with the earth revolving around it. That was Aristarchus in the 4th century, 4th and 3rd century BC. Uh, denied the existence of incorporeal entities. Didn't believe in demons. Uh, sophists, Stoics. Um, and the main reason I'm doing this is just to kind of give you an idea of, this is, this is just from Wikipedia, and there were, look at, look at, the, I mean, we're, we're just at the seas. I'm going to kind of go quick now. Uh, said that the purpose of philosophy was to attain tranquility characterized by ataraxia, and I didn't look that up because it sounded awful. Uh, there's a couple of interesting ones here. Claim that you cannot step in the same river twice. I'm going to go out and disprove him tomorrow. I have stepped in the Ponderay River. Oh, there you go. Good. Ron, are you a follower? Of... <laughs> and how about this one? All is fire. Have you ever been, have you ever been real cold and wished all was fire? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, there was a couple more that were interesting. One guy <clears throat> surmised, held that the only thing that exists is being itself. And then credited as being the first skeptic. <laughs> uh, one of the seven, where is it? I want to get to this one. Claimed that if oxen were able to imagine gods, those gods would be in the image of oxen. He had a lot of time on his hands. Okay, there's the Z's. Okay, we're done. We're done with the Greek philosophers. We have that many. We might have more than that. And I'm not going to name names, but they're out there. They have their own ideas of wisdom and how everything got here. They won't come back to the revealed Word of God because it would, like a laser beam, go to their heart and force them to look at what they are. It's what it did to us. It forced us to look at what we are and how incapable we are of being what we ought to be. So he says, where is the wise man? Where is the debater? And uh, D.A. Carson, in his book, The Cross and Christian Ministry, said this, in first century Corinth, wisdom was not understood to be practical skill in living under the fear of the, of the Lord, as it is frequently shown in Proverbs. Nor was it perceived to be some combination of intuition, insight, and people smarts, as it frequently is today in the West. Rather, wisdom was a public philosophy, which explained why they would gather together like on Mars Hill and debate. It was a public philosophy, a well-articulated worldview that made sense of life and ordered the choices, values, and priorities of those who adopted it. The wise man, then, was someone who adopted and defended one of the many competing public worldviews. Those who were wise in this sense might have been Epicureans or Stoics or Sophists or Platonists but they had this in common. They claimed to be able to make sense out of life and death and the universe. That was their claim. They could make sense of everything that, all the questions that we have. What are, why are we here? What is this all about? If there is anything we can conclude about the wisdom of this world, about man's philosophy, we can conclude first that it is impermanent, it is changeable, it is a multiplicity of many mis hard to understand ideas, and it's unreliable. Take the internet, for example. You can, sub you can substantiate just about any opinion. I was going to do this, but I think you've all seen it. Uh, 
you, if you've got an opinion about something and you type in the right search terms, you can substantiate it. You can come up to the right conclusion. The right... I mean, I know the video... I mean, the audio can't see me using the quotes in air here, but the quote, right conclusion. So Paul asks where the wise man is, where the scribe is. What about the debater? And there were plenty. It had become an art form. His question is almost sarcastic in nature in that the gospel undercuts all of the wisdom, the scribes and the debaters of the ages. Back to the Internet. We have, realistically, the entire history and science of the world at our very fingertips in a piece of equipment the size of a large of an index card. I can I, I looked up yesterday when I took my dryer apart, there were some wires that weren't connected when I put it back together. And I think it probably wouldn't have worked. So I went to the internet. And somebody who had nothing else to do that day took a picture of my dryer in his house with the wires correctly attached. The dryer works this morning. So I found that right there. You can, you can look up quotes. You can look up history. You can look up what happened to the, in the diaspora. There's, it's an amazing thing. But, and with all of that supposed wisdom, we're no closer to understanding, to nirvana, if you will, than we were 5,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 500 years ago, or 150 years ago. Indeed, in many ways, we are even farther because we think with our much learning, we have come to the end of things. We know what we need. As Paul said earlier to those who are perishing, he said to them, all this information is useless. To those of us who are being saved, and this may sound arrogant, and I don't mean it to sound arrogant, and we need to probably do better than some of the ways I say things, but to those of us who are being saved, we only need the power and the wisdom of the cross. That's all that's necessary. All of that other science and information happens to be a fringe benefit that begins to coalesce into proper usefulness when the cross is at the center. When the worldview emanates from the, world, the Lord Jesus Christ and from the revealed Word of God, then science begins to have an anchor that it can dig into and connect with. Stop the ship from moving and you can understand why the world looks like, like it does. What the layers are all about that were laid down by the flood. And I could get into all kinds of technical. Dr. Stephen Austin uh, does a great job of explaining um, striation and how it didn't come about in 60 million or in 4 billion years, but it came about in a very short time caused by the uh, hydrostatic, hydro, hydraulic nature of the flood, which hydraulic sounds really scientific. You know what it means? Water. It means water. So all of that then becomes useful because we have the, the Word of God to anchor it to. Any questions about the wisdom of man, the scribe, the debater? That's not to say debating is wrong. Again, I don't want to be, I don't want to be giving the wrong impression. But, but what these guys were doing was they were debating each other about the nature of life and the questions that surround why are we here, where are we going, what is this all about? And the revealed answer is here that they wouldn't look to it. For since in the wisdom of God, verse 21 says, the world through wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Those who believe. Corinthians, all of that wisdom, all of that debating, spending time talking with each other in the public square, you've not come to know God. 
You have not come to knowing. Paul did that on, said that on Mars Hill. Here, Paul makes it clear, especially to the Corinthian wisdom lovers, that the wisdom of man never resulted in knowing God. It was through the foolishness of preaching. Paul says that men come to know God and to believe and therefore be saved. It is significant that often, though not always, often, though not always, the smartest, most erudite people are the least likely to know God. It is the simple who have the faith of a child that find it most easy easy to trust in the wisdom of God rather than in the wisdom of men. A heart changed by the Holy Spirit that is quickened is able to see the truth of the gospel. The natural man cannot, and Paul says this in chapter 2, we'll get to that, verse 14, he says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are, they are spiritually appraised, appraised. That is when the realtor goes out and looks at your property and determines what it's worth. These spiritual things, the worth of them cannot be appraised, they cannot be seen by the natural man but only by those who have been changed by the power of God. Um, and in Paul is simply confirming what Jesus taught, that only his sheep hear his voice. I went too far, I was already there. Only his sheep hear his voice. And that only those who are born again can see the kingdom of God. Those who are not of his father cannot understand him. Matthew thirteen eleven. Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. To unbelievers it has not been granted, but to the sheep, to you, it has been granted. We should not be proud about that, but grateful. Jesus answered and said to him in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God in any of its aspects. John 8, 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. And I think there he wasn't saying, he wasn't asking them. It was, why don't you, why don't you like this sandwich? It's because you hate mayonnaise. It's, it's like you're asking a rhetorical question and then you're answering it. Jesus said, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. I wonder what they thought when he said that. John 10, 26 and 27. But you do not believe me? But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. He was not afraid to say that right to their faces. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's a significant thing that the debater, the scribe, and the wisdom of man will not bring you to the knowledge of God. But the word of God and the Holy Spirit in your heart will. Paul's not condemning education or science. He's not, under, he's not condemning understanding. He's simply saying that they alone are not sufficient for obtaining spiritual wisdom and salvation. Spurgeon put it this way. It is certain that a blind man is no judge of colors and that a deaf man is no judge of sound and a man who has never been quickened into spiritual life can have no judgment as to spiritual things. Paul is doing his... The Holy Spirit is undermining their, their, their valuing, their trust in human wisdom so that they can get back to... These philosophies came in with the, the baggage came into the Corinthian church. Some of the believers struggled with it. There were probably plenty of unbelievers in the church. But Paul is trying to deal with that by, re, by pointing them back to the revealed word of God. Any questions? For it is through the wisdom of God. Through, uh, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not come to know God through its own wisdom. Verse 22. 
For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. This is one of those little verses I've read, I don't know how many times, 27 billion times, you know, hyperbole speaking. But I never really thought to look into it. I, for, I didn't realize how many times in the scriptures the Jews asked Jesus for a sign. I'd, for, I'd never really, it just was one of those things that never, wasn't on my radar for some reason. Jews in Jesus' day were always looking for a sign to authenticate the authority of the supposed teacher. Of course, they had their own idea of what the teacher or proper, a proper teacher or, or Messiah would say or do. They already knew what a proper Messiah would do. They already knew what a correct teacher would say. But they, would want to, they wanted a sign from Jesus anyway. So they would compare Jesus to that standard. And he didn't meet their standard. Some of uh, the commentators I read say they had it all worked out that in the time of this particular time in history, they had worked it out that something like the Exodus was going to happen. But only on a much grander scale with the destruction of the Roman Empire and lifting of the Jewish nation, and he would stomp out the Romans, that was for sure. They had this all worked out. They had a philosophy. They had wisdom. They had their own ideas. And when Jesus didn't, didn't uh, preach those ideas, didn't bring those ideas, well, he couldn't be right. We've already got it figured out. So there's numerous times when the Jews asked for signs. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Matthew 16, 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Mark 8, 11. 8, 8, 11. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Luke eleven sixteen. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. And John 2, 8. Then the Jews said to him, What sign do you show as your authority, show us as your authority for doing these things? The Greeks, on the other hand, loved to debate and pretend that they understood mysteries. They were always looking for wisdom, but they had already worked out in their minds. They already knew what was going to happen. They knew about the gods. They knew how they interacted in heaven and down here. and They knew what the Mount Olympus was all about. They knew all of this stuff. They knew what the gods could and couldn't do. And since they believed that God is good, it was an interesting one. One of their philosophers believed in the second century that God is good and happy. And, and perfect, and he, where he lived was beautiful and perfect, and he only will live where things are beautiful and perfect. And to, to descend to the earth where things are hard and harsh and bad would be to go from good to bad, and God would never accept such a change. So that's why the Father could never send the Son to this planet. He wouldn't come. So, so the idea of the incarnation, let alone the crucifixion, was considered stupid by the Greek philosophers. Paul saw this on Mars Hill when he was talking with them. And so also, and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idler babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. That's what he was doing on Mars Hill, by the way. People who say he was talking... The, one of the commentators we talked about earlier had thought that maybe he had been using high-handed philosophical terms on Mars Hill and it had no effect, so when he came to Corinth, he said he would preach the cross only and not use the wisdom of men. According to Acts chapter 17, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Paul always preached. He preached the cross. Um, and then they took him 
And they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. It, it reminds me of the, the old coffee clatch around the pot-bellied stove in the hardware store. And often it was fun. I partic- partook in some of those. But often it was just mindless babble. Just stuff that... The gossip of men. Yeah, they do. So, Paul, <laughs> did I let out our secret? Neither the Jews nor the Greeks were interested for the most part in the gospel. Unbelievers always, always have a reason for rejecting the gospel. It is only those, and this we'll close with this. Next week we'll talk about the preaching of Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Gentiles. Uh, excuse me, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But suffice it to say that everybody who won't believe has a reasonably good reason worked out in their minds why they won't believe. Sometimes they can't even articulate it, but it's there. (laughs) It is only those, and we need to remember this as well, and that is why prayer for our our unsaved family and our unsaved friends is so important. Prayer is so important. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, if these are the ones that you would choose, would you break up the fallow ground? Would you move in their hearts? Would you bend their stiff necks? Would you cause them to come to the end of themselves so that they can see the truth, that they can understand the gospel, that they can become one of those who's not perishing, but one of those who's being saved? It is only those who are drawn by the Holy Spirit who have a change of heart. And so they do not need signs or wisdom, but just the preaching of the cross. Let me ask you a question. You're all believers here. Do you need a sign? Do you find yourself wandering, wandering throughout the day? I could sure use a sign. I mean, it probably happens occasionally, but it's not your lifestyle. You have the Word. You know it's true. You've seen it work in your life. And you know it's true because it's given to you as true from the Father of lights. We would have that for our friends. We would have that for our family. And so prayer, which is probably one of the hardest disciplines in the Christian life, is what is necessary. Say what you need to say. Preach the cross to those who need to hear it. But spend your time asking God to break up that fallow ground, to bend that stiff neck, to change that heart. Because in the end, it's only a work of the Father that will change a heart so that they can see that the truth of the cross is the only truth they need. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things we would like to to say sometimes to our friends and to our our relatives. We ask you to give us wisdom as you gave Paul wisdom, whether he was speaking on Mars Hill or in the Philippian prison to the Philippian jailer. We ask for that wisdom. But also, Lord, we ask for the perseverance to be people of prayer who will spend the time necessary And we don't know what time that is necessary, so let us just be willing and diligent to spend good time asking you for the lives of those who we love. Lord, we're grateful again for whoever it was that prayed that you used their prayer by your sovereignty to break up the fallow ground, to bend our stiff neck, to change our wayward heart, 
so that we might trust the Lord Jesus Christ and come to understand it is the preaching of the cross that is all that is necessary. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.